1: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
2: The New Statesman. Hi, it's Anoush here. Just before we start, this episode of Westminster Reimagined does include some strong language. So if you have children in the room, then just be aware. Hello, I'm Anoush. And I'm Amanda. And in this episode of Westminster Reimagined, we'll be joined by John Stewart, comedian, satirist and podcaster, and Sam Walker, journalist and broadcaster who's moved from Manchester to Arizona. Both cover politics and see how similar and how different we are from our neighbours across the pond. We ask if British politics is becoming more American, or if we're less alike than we like to admit. Armando, there is a bit of an obsession in UK politics with the US. Everyone seems to make West Wing references all the time. Mm. And often we use the language as well of US politics, from the word woke to slogans like defund the police. Then you've got phrases like let Boris be Boris, which comes from let Reagan be Reagan, and midterm blues for (coughs) local council elections.
3: Power outages is a new one that's made its way in, instead of just power cuts. But it's more than this obsession, we were told after Brexit that we'll be able to do these amazing trade deals and the top of the list would be a a fantastic trade deal with America. Now that's looking very unlikely now. And I think this throws the spotlight on how over-obsessed British politicians have become with America as if we're going to be more economically healthy the closer ties we have to America than with Europe and the rest of the world. So I thought it would be useful to speak to two people who are in the front line of commentary on US politics, one of whom is British, to see just what's coming our way, given that we tend to have politicians who ape what they watch on American television.
2: We're really pleased to be joined by two very special guests, two broadcasters with very different perspectives on the US and the UK. Joining us from Phoenix is Sam Walker, a radio presenter and podcaster. Three years ago, she wanted to fulfil a dream and leave the rainy suburbs of Manchester for the dry deserts of Arizona. A former Radio 5 Live presenter, she's gone from interviewing British politicians to presenting her own podcast, The Desert Diaries, on moving your family to America's southwest and seeing the end of Trump and a turbulent time for President Joe Biden in the middle of one of the country's new swing states.
3: And joining us from New Jersey is the comedian and presenter John Stewart. John Stewart's perhaps best known in the UK for launching The Daily Show back in the 1990s. He's also one of America's most well-known TV hosts, comedians, writers and directors I could go on. For me, he was a pioneer in comedy in using researchers and journalists to back his commentary on the issues of the day. And he's now the host of The Problem with John Stewart on Apple TV, where each episode he takes a deep, long look at a different issue facing America. And thank you, both. Both for joining us. So I have this long running fear now that British politics and British politicians are now more and more borrowing from the American playbook. Not just in our the Prime Minister or the role of Prime Minister being more presidential. But in fact the tricks primarily of the Republican Party of simplifying things into slogans we now have make Brexit was it.
2: Get Brexit done. Get
3: Brexit done. A classic. (laughs) Everything's boiled down to three words. That's our
2: sort of pound shop version of take back control, isn't it? It is. Yes.
3: (laughs) Take back control. Get Brexit done. We have the Anti-Growth Alliance, which is basically anyone who criticises the government is a member of the Anti-Growth Alliance. And for me, I just see this as that process of demonising your opponent, which, oh, correct me if I'm wrong. John and Sam, is something that's been happening in US politics for some time now and has become something of an art form.
0: Completely. It's a masterclass of demonising the opponent, I would say. And it's Really making a mythology of the notion of American freedom and sticking to that. I think moving here from the UK, it was definitely a huge culture shock looking at the political landscape. And that really fell into three different areas. There was this notion of the completely alternate reality that the two political parties really operate in here in the States. This is mainly due to partisan media, but, you know, opinions presented as fact was the thing that really struck me. We've got a whole news channel, I'm doing news in inverted commas, a news channel here, which is actually an entertainment channel officially, which presents opinion as fact. And the fact that the two parties operate in these completely alternate universes, which means that the people who align to those parties never see what's happening on the other side. They only ever hear what is happening in their own bubble. So you can sit and watch an hour of Fox News and then sit and watch an hour of MSNBC and hear the same story reported in completely different ways. One of those has a modicum of fact. One of them does not. But really, if you are not in that world... Uh, Wait, which, you I'm sorry, which
1: one? Do we know which one?
0: I think we might have an idea, John, of which right, one's right, just good. based on, a, I'm just checking, based on I'm just, opinion. Yeah. I'm just checking what I'm <laughs> doing here.
3: Although is there one now? Because, you know, it, it, let's for the sake of oversimplification, call them the left and the right. If the right yeah. is seen to get away with just making things up, at some point, the left is going to just think, well, we might as well
1: do that as well. Oh, So I think what you're referring to is a phenomenon that happened here. It started about 50 years ago and a gentleman by the name of Roger Ailes, who was an operative in the Nixon administration, decided that he was going to make sure that what happened to Nixon would never happen to another Republican president. So he built what the right did really effectively in the 60s and 70s is they saw that the institutions of America were, by and large, left-leaning. And so the outcomes that they wanted to propose Would not have the foundations that they needed in the argument. For instance, there was the best and the brightest when Kennedy brought on all these academics and they had studies about poverty and race and they grounded their policy in a kind of database analytics, if you will. And so, what the right did is they decided to build a parallel universe to that. They built their own think tanks, colleges, media institutions so that they would have the patina also of expertise. But the goal wasn't necessarily to study bees. It was to lend credence to a worldview, an ideological worldview that they would just place. So there's a real difference in the left-leaning media is more institutionalized and is not agile and is basically shitty at what they do. But the right-wing media is focused on a particular ideology and worldview, which you see now spreading. It's a populist, ethno-nationalist, if you will, worldview. And they are relentless in their pursuit of that dream, oddly enough, embodied now more by Vladimir Putin than yeah. by any yeah. American president other than, I guess, yeah. Trump.
3: Yeah. but And it's worked, hasn't it,
1: as far as they're concerned? Well, I think certainly. I mean, I I would say that type of populism. The pendulum has swung. We all sort of ground our worldview in World War II. You know, it's funny that when you're, you know, keep calm and carry on. Like slogans have been around forever. It's just yeah, whichever they're deployed for. But what World War II did is it gave us a mythology that the West is always right, that we are resilient in the face of any threat, that we will defeat it, and once we defeat it, we can control. The outcome through rebuilding, through a Marshall Plan, we can rebuild, we will demilitarize and rebuild, but it gave us a false sense of our own ability to control what is a world of too many variables. And I think our arrogance in that has led to a lot of the fallout over these last I don't know, 70 years. And what's been
3: happening here, I think if you wanted to draw a parallel mm-hmm. with UK politics, we've built up this myth or this myth myth was built about mm-hmm. Brexit in Europe, Europe being something that's sucking out the freedom from how we operate. And mm-hmm. if we just got rid of that interference, this enemy across the water, if they mm-hmm. suddenly were out of our, we'd be born again and we'd be in this new land where everything was remarkable and we'd have the freedom to mm-hmm. grow. And that's the whole Boris Johnson era. I call it an era only. I, I, did she get an was, era? I didn't know he, he going to get an era. era. Unfortunately, for the amount of time he was in office, he's had some <laughs> big lasting uh-huh. after effect. Uh-huh. What is school the, school the court doing, gang, yeah. gang <laughs> era going to be like? <laughs> <That>
1: was, <laughs> yeah. What is the 38th gang the era?
3: Of what is, what? It's like an atomic bomb. but It only takes a second. But the after effect last I understand. Was there. And I think we have been fed this myth of Europe and bureaucrats and other people coming into our country from overseas, people right. telling us what to do. Turns out, actually, when we're left to get on with our daily business, we haven't quite worked out what we want to do, and that's been the whole problem. Where, depending on when this podcast is actually going out in the next few weeks, we will still be or will have just come out of the trust era where she managed to campaign. She's getting on an error a... too? This is yeah. 40 days.
2: Come on. We're very reverential towards our politicians. All right. <laughs> <laughs> <You> really are. <laughs> you know <Yeah>. what her
1: <laughs> era represents? Can I just stop for a second and tell you what I love about what they're doing? I love the idea that you do opposite actions to get yourself a result. Like what you say is, all right, let's raise interest rates to slow down the economy and stimulate it with high-end wealth tax cuts. I used to do that in college. You would take a Quaalude and then you would think <laughs> to yourself, why don't I mix that with cocaine? I'm yeah. sure it'll all, it'll all come together in some kind of, won't that it's just kind of an interesting.
2: What are yes. the downers, the, the tax cuts? Give, me, the a downer, the... <laughs> give me a downer. A, give me
1: an upper. Let me put it together. Is that NyQuil? Boom.
3: Let
2: me throw that down.
1: <laughs> I don't know what the hell's going on.
3: I think you've actually come up with what could be our next economic plan anyway. It's still to be announced.
1: I <laughs> no. You know what? Out what a from. great slogan. Cocaine and Quaaludes. Britain is back.
0: <laughs> <laughs> It'll even out in the end. Yeah. Yes. yes. But,
3: uh, and also, but what Boris Johnson did was very successfully, I think, convey this, this story of the enemies and us. And if you resided with him, he fused optimism, even though he couldn't explain what he was being optimistic about. Even during a pandemic, he said, you know, it'll all be over in 12 weeks. And not, it's not that we believed him, but we just liked the idea that he was at least being positive about the imminent <laughs> tidal wave. And I think that's very much from the American playbook. It's, I think politicians here are seeing it's working with the Republicans. Why don't we do that as well?
2: Yeah, and we've never had a British dream here, but it's almost trying to borrow from the American dream idea.
1: But to jump in very quickly, Boris Johnson, though, in terms of positivity, that was Reagan era, morning in America, mm. we're coming back. The Donald Trump era was not positivity. It was, there is darkness all around us. We are surrounded by enemies, foreign and domestic, dark and mysterious. All who want to kill us, change our children from boys to girls, give them fentanyl, bring in guns. It was in no way an optimistic message, but it was the flattery of a more authoritarian. It was, there is an other. And I think that's what Britain did very well is they said, there is an other and it's Europe. Yep. And then now it's
3: anyone who complains that it's part of the anti-growth alliance, which sure. doesn't You don't exist, want to be against growth. No, I know.
0: But that's exactly the argument that, of course, Donald Trump and now the Republicans continue to use. And it's mm-hmm. you look at Ted Cruz being interviewed by international media about the Uvalde shootings and the reporter mm-hmm. brought up the really good Point. Hang on, you're blaming this tragedy on the school having too many doors, not the fact that a teenage (laughs) tutor could obtain an assault weapon. This idea of American exceptionalism is is kind of eating you alive. And his answer was, if you don't like it, don't come. Don't come to America if you don't like it. If you live here if you don't like it, get out. And that's exactly, as you remember, Donald Trump said that against anyone else who ever stood up against him. And I think, you know, this idea of good versus evil is absolutely being played large across the Republican playbook now.
3: And it's a technique of not, instead of engaging with your opponents, you demonise them so that you don't have to engage with them. It's sort of unpatriotic
0: to engage. Oh, completely. It's weak to engage. Yeah, as John just said, the left is trying to turn your boys into girls. The left are allowing illegals to come and put fentanyl in your children's Halloween candy. That's the big story across the media over the past couple of weeks. And what's really interesting as a British person watching this news is the fact that you can watch an entire discussion. I don't, because I haven't got the stomach. You can watch an entire discussion (laughs) on Fox News about (laughs) Biden letting these illegals in to come and give fentanyl to your kids in their Halloween candy. And every single senator and governor and congressman or woman who comes on goes, yes, you're right, because right. mm. they will never ever appear on a channel that doesn't support their views. Yes, they will never be challenged in the way that you know Jacob Rees-Mogg was on Channel Four News a couple of days ago. He British politicians will allow themselves to be challenged. In well, you the way say they that, are, but
3: won't. what's been increasingly happening is that they won't. They will. They will seek out the reporter who is really they think is on their side. They'll go. We've now got GB News, which is a, well, yeah. <laughs> which is a little watched and little admired. But, uh, oh, it'll metastasize. Uh, Don't worry about it. Uh, it'll <laughs> be fine. <laughs> You'll see. <it. laughs> network, to which more and more cabinet ministers are are going. Right. And Liz Truss was on it when she was campaigning, say saying that I like this network because at least it gets its facts right, unlike the BBC. Of course. So it's the demonizing of a – But yeah, let's
1: – Take a step back though to get some perspective. And I always thought this I've always admired British media in a way that I didn't admire American media. And I've always admired that question time mentality Mm -hmm. that everybody was going to be held to their thoughts Mm -hmm. and they were going to have to do that. And I thought, what a wonderful immune system. What a great filtration Mm -hmm. system that can temper whatever the most base instincts are of political people. And I thought, boy, I wish we had something like that in the United States. And But what challenges my hopefulness about that is y'all make the same shitty mistakes that we make with even with the good media and the good question time, you still go into Iraq, even with the good media and the good question time, you still do Brexit. So I wonder, are we placing too much faith in a media to change what is the real problem? The understanding that the pendulum between nationalism and globalism is going to swing back and forth, and if we don't call it what it is, and if we pretend that there are not real effects to the working class through globalism, if we don't understand the economics of it, aren't we playing into the hands of those who will demonize and flatter those prejudices?
0: But the question is, how do you convey that to the general public who don't want to know, who don't maybe, with the greatest respect, understand economic policy? I don't really understand the details of economic policy. What I do know is that, yeah, you're right. Hey, my husband used to work there and now some guy's taken his job and that guy happens to be brown. So therefore, and that's how we extrapolate.
3: But you also get the example of when politicians who are in power threaten the BBC with defunding or threaten... Channel 4, which has a fantastic news service with Mm -hmm. privatization and neutering, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, reporters there are going to be a bit more wary of challenging the government, that they're going to be more subdued. And they use the mantra of impartiality to actually explain away the lack of bite.
1: Yeah, I just don't don't know anymore how much power we can imbue in a media to be the immune system that we needed to be. Mm. And as these things start to get polarized, maybe it's time to realize that there is politics, there is media, and then there's corporate interest. Mm. And if we don't address corporate interest, because that's global, globalization isn't national interest, it's corporate interest. It's them saying, I got to pay these guys what? Well, (laughs) Vietnam, I think we'll go for two bucks. And you all like cheap T-shirts, right? So let's do that. If we, don't, if we don't bring corporations, you know, we're just dealing with this now with inflation, right? And I know you guys are as well. Inflation is an incredibly complex economic soup of corporate price index and energy commodities and the Ukraine war and wheat prices and all and supply chain through the pandemic. And it's an incredibly complex web. And the one tool we have to fight it is an interest rate dial. We don't even look at it through all its different sectors. We just go, holy shit, food prices are up and energy prices are up, but home prices are down, and these things, I know what I'll do. Uh, uh, <laughs> Two 2.5. Woo! Fixed <laughs> it! By turning a dial. That was me turning. I keep forgetting this is audio. No, no, no. Do you understand right, uh, what I'm
3: saying? What are... Yeah, no, absolutely. And An example in the UK where that's happened is the pressure to put a sort of windfall tax on the energy companies who are having these enormous mm-hmm. profits. And, I, dig, I dig that. And them saying, the conservatives saying no, because that will put the investors off if we harm profits in these private companies will deter oh, well, them. And, but you've got the heads
1: of the I company saying, no, we're fine with the money. <laughs> we're fine <laughs> you taking it. But get you them know, people... involved. What I don't understand yeah. is why don't you, why don't you make them involved? I understand that corporations in the United States now, the court has ruled corporations are people. And admittedly, they're sociopaths. They have one goal and it's driving profit. But if you don't bring them in and make them a part of the solution of an inflationary period, if your only response to that is, what if we make regular people's lives shittier? That's how we're going to tame inflation and not deal at all with the profit side? It's a ridiculous notion.
2: Hi, Anoush here. We've got a special offer for Westminster Reimagined listeners. You can subscribe to The New Statesman for just a pound a week for 12 weeks. Just go to newstatesman.com forward slash podcast offer. And you can check out all our podcasts, including audio long reads and World Review at newstatesman.com forward slash podcasts. We'll be right back.
0: From the New Statesman comes World Review, a twice weekly international news podcast. From Ukraine to Brazil, D.C. to China, we cover the stories that matter in a world that's constantly changing. Every Monday, we interview a guest for their unique perspective and expertise. And then later in the week, we come together to unpack some of the most significant stories in world affairs. Join us. Just search World Review wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile.
2: Well, I think that this kind of corporate culture was supposed to be the great prize of some of the Brexiteers that we have in power at the moment. They are Atlanticists. Armando's mentioned their obsession with American politics. The idea was we were supposed to get a trade deal with the U.S., which Joe Biden has poured cold water on. Let me
1: get to work on that. I didn't realize that.
2: Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. But yeah, this idea of the U.K. becoming more and more like the U.S. is quite bizarre as well, because the U.K. and the U.S. are quite different. I know we're talking about the parallels here Mm -hmm. and how... Lots of our politicians try and absorb a great deal of what's going on there. But we have completely different political systems, health services, attitudes to workers' rights and everything. And it reminds me of that John Sopel book that's called If Only They Didn't Speak English. You know, if only the US didn't speak English, we would treat it much more like the very different country that it is from the UK. And I did want to know from you two how much Americans pay attention to what's going on in the UK and whether you think we are trying to become a mini-America or whether you do think that we are really different.
0: From a British person who arrived here, from a purely anecdotal point of view, and I'm in Phoenix, Arizona, which is a A unique place in the United States to live. A place that's (laughs) so at war with so many aspects of society. It's quite unbelievable. But I would say from the average person that I've met here in the grocery store, at the school gates, you know, at the track or whatever my kids might be doing, there is little to no understanding or interest in what is going on outside America. For the first six, seven months I was here, what part of Australia are you from was the question I was asked the most. I was Um, just going to ask that. Yeah. I was going to say Sydney.
1: I heard Sydney,
0: but I wasn't sure
1: because, you know, the connection. But.
0: And quite swiftly, I realized that the American sense of humor is very different when I would reply, Birmingham, Alabama. And they'd be like the blank face. But? And I did actually meet a young woman in Texas recently when I said I'm from Birmingham, Alabama. She looked at me confused and I said, no, actually, I'm from Phoenix. Arizona. I'm English, but I live in Phoenix. She went, oh, I don't know how people in Phoenix speak. I ain't never been there. And it was like, oh,
1: gosh. Well, let me be clear, though. That is not an anomaly to particular parts of the country, whether it's the Heartland, the Bible Belt, manufacturing centers, we don't care. We are narcissistic to our core. So when you say, do Americans view the UK moving towards the US and being Atlanticist and all that, I would venture to say that the word Atlanticist has never been uttered on these shores other than which ocean do you like? I'm an Atlanticist. I like to swim in the Atlantic <laughs> off of New Jersey. Whereas I know some people are Pacificists and they like to swim in California. We don't honestly care. And if we did have that worldview, we could not do the foreign policy that we do. Right. We could not, if we had that sense of, oh, the repercussions of our actions are lasting to real people, we would have a very hard time conducting our policies.
3: Whereas over here, I think we're sold
1: the myth that actually we have a glorious partnership.
2: Uh, yes, a uh, special relationship. A
1: special relationship where we are We seasons. do enjoy getting Premier League games. I'm not going to lie to oh, you. do you? We do <laughs> enjoy that. It's You're on, welcome. It's on ESPN 6. <laughs> and we watch it generally at odd times. So that we be like, but other than that, Not sure. Okay.
2: We've got ourselves a deal. That's it. I think, interestingly,
0: (laughs) from a British point of view, and being someone who's lived here nearly four years now, is the longer uh I've been here, the more I have realised there is actually little that joins us more than little that separates us.
3: Oh, I regularly said that when I I was out for a while doing Veep. And we shot it in, we were based in Baltimore, shooting in Washington and Baltimore and so Mm -hmm. on. And I'd regularly say to my family at home, the more I know America or get to know America, the more I realise it's a foreign country. Yeah. Alistair Cook had that phrase of Britain and America separated by the same language,
2: yeah.
3: which is we corn ourselves into thinking that we are roughly the same because we speak English. But in fact, we're two
1: different separate cultures. I think we're definitely separate cultures, but if you mm-hmm. have to look at it in the main. You know what it's like if you two ran into each other at a cafe near your studio? You might nod to each other and go, i see you in a little bit. But if you ran into each other in Tunisia, you'd go, holy shit, what are you doing here? And that's England and America. When we run <laughs> into each other, when you can dig down into the intricacies of our economics, of our political system, you think to yourself, oh, we're quite different in the way that siblings can often be antithetical yeah. to each other, Grantek. But yeah. when you look at us in the main of the world, we're like, oh, my God my twin and i think that's <laughs> yeah why the relationship has the power that it has just because there may be another system that has a similar political although i can't think of one but you speak english yeah not well you understand the difference not with, i don't not, know not, you add hues where use don't belong. i mean that doesn't make any sense i know our spelling is so archaic <laughs> First of all, just by say that you say archaic, you, the the phrase here is old, old as shit. That's the phrase, archaic. I don't even know what that is.
3: I always used to have a theory that America was such a superpower because all the deals are done in America, which means that everyone who's doing the deals are jet lagged. And because <laughs> every time I've been to America for a meeting, I realise why have I? Why am I deciding important elements of my future career? Uh, well, in my head, it's well, four a.m. Why am I? Why am I signing this piece of paper?
1: That's so (laughs) Um, funny.
3: But one thing I wanted to pick up on in terms of the parallel, it's not so much the parallel, but my fear has always been not so much Donald Trump, but the person who is cleverer than Donald Trump who thinks I'll do what he did. It's just I'm going to be smarter at it. And what Donald Trump, I think, revealed in his presidency was actually these things that are called norms. These unwritten rules, where there's a, just a gentleman's agreement that you will abide by them. Fuck them. We don't need to do that. And yeah. that's, I think, what Boris Johnson was bringing in, his wing of the Conservative Party and what has now been set within politics. That idea that norms don't matter anymore. Yeah. If I want to, the first thing he did was shut Parliament down. It turned out illegally. So he had to apologize for lying to the Queen. If anyone disagreed with them. It wasn't that they were demoted, they were just expelled from the party. Even trying to get them out of office resulted in everyone consulting a non-existent constitution to work out how on earth you remove someone who just simply will go, no, I'm not leaving. What, do you, what can you do? And there's the yeah.
0: difference, right? There's the difference yeah. between the US and the UK because there was that kind of hundreds of years of democratic process of red tape and old institutions and he... After the vote of no confidence, he didn't really have any choice. And yes, it did, it did have to hark back to antiquated processes that keep him in power or not. But that wouldn't have been the case here. Those kind of old-fashioned processes just simply don't exist. And I think he never would have been ousted had he been an American right. president.
1: Had he tried storming Parliament? Because it's... And I can't recommend this enough. <laughs> if you get enough people with big enough flag sticks... You can get in. You got to have a plan once you get in. That was the thing here is the only plan. Is was, what if I take a shit in the rotunda? Yeah. Not a plan. <laughs> so what you want is you got. Let, let me let, next time we'll talk to him. I'm sure I'm sure he can come up with something. Well, he, he had the reverse, wasn't it? It was shut, shut parliament down. That was it's that. all the yeah, same yeah. thing. You're absolutely right. <laughs> but here, yeah. I think part of it is it's a very unique paradox. We cling to the Constitution as though it is written by the gods, that it is carved in the stone of Mount Sinai and and has that kind of imperative. But when it comes to violating its precepts, as long as it keeps me in power, I really don't care. And what happens is they're much better at, I mean, imagine somebody carrying a Confederate flag, breaking into the Capitol building, shouting, we the people." And not understanding what a Thomas Nast cartoon you are, in terms of just the utter hypocrisy of it. And what happens here is, and I fall into this as well, imagine when we point out that hypocrisy. (laughs) That'll show them and they will back down. And I can remember early on in the Trump presidency, the news media, they would spend hours on this is a violation of the Hatch Act. She is promoting on her public podium a private message and you're just like nobody gives a shit and that's the part we didn't realize the game that that we were really playing
3: well that's makes it harder for i mean i did a show over here called the thick of it which was set in a golden age where politicians rules were norms were around and we occasionally showed how they would bend the rules and occasionally break the rules but now What's been said is there are no rules. If Trump can say, I can shoot a guy in the face in Fifth
1: Avenue yeah. and still people would vote for me, but th- that's his audience. If he gave a guy a vaccine in the middle of Fifth Avenue, he would lose a lot. Of- he
0: had the vaccine and all of the Fox News anchors had the vaccine and are now campaigning against, you know, the illegally mandated vaccine. So
3: are we at a point of no return? And Once your legislature is full of people like that, then it's game over.
1: For well, Armando, it's really interesting it? for me to be here and listen to this fake news media production that you all are putting <laughs> on. You've been corrupted by the fake news media. You don't have this was an historically corrupt election and stolen. I'm interested in the fake news media. We also keep children in the basement. as well. Armando, I'd like to know, why haven't you charged Hunter Biden yet? Did Donald Trump storm the Capitol and did he lose? Like, I don't know. But the laptop is also. And by the way, Obama still has all classified documents. And you know where he keeps them? A Chuck E. Cheese in Fresno. That's where he keeps them. It's not guarded at all. In fact, it keeps them on the tables. There are children's birthday parties being held right now where the placemats are are (laughs) are nuclear secrets, (laughs) Armando. (laughs) Yeah. And you want to talk about corruption? How dare you, sir? How do you know decency, sir? What do we do? All right. So here's the deal. What do we do other than this? No. So we look at it through the pendulum of history and the perspective of. Look, we always assume that World War II was a fait accompli, that the forces of freedom would always defeat the fascists and the authoritarians. But none of this is guaranteed. This is not new. What you are seeing is in no way an invention. It is perhaps weaponized slightly by new forms of media so that it feels more personal and more immediate and more relentless, but it is in no way new. And the battle that we are fighting is the battle of time immemorial. Democracy is messy. It is an analog system in a digital world. Fascism is more agile. And as long as the authoritarian is your authoritarian, then you don't give a fuck. I've always felt that the greatest hedge against fascism in the United States is that we are so largely multicultural that it's very difficult to demonize the right group of people that will allow you to seize power in that way. But what I realize now is the problem will be permanent minority rule. That it will not be, fascism won't come in a cloud of smoke it'll come in a bureaucratic change to state legislatures uh yes, yes. It, it being able to control the election proceedings and that's how and, it will all be clear. done with the patina of legitimacy and just to
3: highlight one tiny little development here that for me was is just symptomatic of where they want to take uk politics mm. we now have to have id cards mm. and proof of id at elections to hmm. eliminate voter fraud, which never existed exist. as a problem. No. And, and that's stolen completely from the Republican playbook, which but is like, you Suppress the opposition.
1: You're welcome. The, suppress, doubt, the best part about it is then they yeah. make all that very difficult to obtain or not. Democrats might say, all right, voter ID. So whenever you register for your license, you get a voter ID to do the thing, or whenever you, or we create a program where we go out and we make those IDs for people and we, yeah, no, we're not going to, we're not going to put money behind that because keeping down the vote in certain precincts, is helpful to them.
0: I find it extraordinary that the gerrymandering is, it's done by the party in power in that state. It's not by right. some independent body who's mm-hmm. overseeing the redrawing of boundaries, being done by the party in power, as if you just said, John, has has the need, the desire to oppress certain sectors of society that they know will vote for the other guys, and that's mm-hmm. happening in real time in front of our faces, and it's happening in those red states now, and yet nothing because of the way the government is set up here. Nobody can stop it from happening.
1: It's all still within the main of how we have tried to influence and rejigger elections. So gerrymandering, a little bit of voter suppression little bit of machine politics. And Democrats and Republicans have both partaken in the politics of advancing your group's efforts to make sure that these are math. Mm. And if you can't get more people to vote for your guy, then you got to get less people to vote for their guy because it's still math. You still need that plus one. But what's novel here, so the U.S. always has a peculiar problem in that our elections are run by partisans. But generally, they are partisans that have, as Armando said earlier, a gentleman's agreement to the administrative state. We're going to count the votes and we're going to certify it. We might not be happy about it, but we'll do it. Since 2020, the goal has been to harass and threaten those people out of a job and replace partisans with zealots. And now our elections, it was peculiar enough that they're run by partisans. Now they're going to be run by zealots. And when you put in zealots and ideologues, really all bets are off. And Mm. I think that's where we've, where we're going to run into the biggest problem.
0: So what about, you know, the notion again of of living here and understanding the country and the culture of this country more and more? America is not one country. And I think this is what I absolutely believed it was when I still lived in the UK. Living here now, America is not one country. And the idea That one president can rule over such a vastly disparate collection of states is becoming Mm. ever more ridiculous. Will it be the case in 10 years' time that people actually vote with their feet and move to different states? I know a number of people here who say that if Carrie Lake wins the race for governor, you know, she is a Trump endorsed, don't, you know, drag queens are trying to corrupt your children and turn them into girls and boys and take them to church instead. Real drunk the Kool Aid. Governor, governor candidate. If she gets in, they're going to move. They're going to move to California. They're going to move maybe over to the East Coast. And other people I know are moving out of Tennessee and moving out of Alabama because of recent laws that have been made over kids' but mental you're health. you're going to end up with two countries there This really? is what I we, mean. We, in- we <laughs>
1: by by yeah. the way, guys, let's let's be frank. We've always been two countries. We, I, we fought a civil war. But the problem is it's not as easy to define as red states and blue states. It's really, we're three countries. We're a rural country. <laughs> We're an urban country and we're an ex urban country. And the policies that hold for it, it's one of the things that's so frustrating about even the gun debate in our culture. Gun violence in populated areas is different than gun violence in rural areas, which is different than gun violence in ex urban areas. And if we think that there's just one, everything has a different policy measure that can adjust to. But like when you talk about, I'm going to move out of a red state. The problem is it's not necessarily the red state. It's that the urban center of your red state in no way follows along with what some of the rural areas of your red state.
0: I look at Georgia. I and mean, so
1: it- it's a much more complicated, we're not two countries. It's if you look at the map, we're really just a, a matrix. We're almost out of time. The New Statesman's... I am stats, not like, going to leave, We're uh, not out of time. <laughs> and I am going we,
3: to stay. New Statesman subscribers can have John Stewart on a 24-hour uh, live.
2: <laughs> Big brother. Big I love brother it. camera, following him.
3: I kind of always like to leave on a positive, though. I, the only positive thing I can see, the current events in the UK, is that politicians like Boris Johnson and Liz Truss have tried all these nefarious moves and have actually the public's onto them. Yeah, The public has seen that they're actually can't be trusted. That's the one positive I've seen in the events of the last...
2: No, it's true. And I think people were making the point that Liz Truss has obviously gone right down in her popularity ratings and that actually there is a floor or a ceiling for someone like Donald Trump who would always have 35% of the vote or something whereas actually you're right, the public are perhaps not so easily fooled as in the US and that does bring me on to my last question for you both before we have to wrap up which is we've been talking about voter ID, politicians and political interviews and things here. Do you think we're just whining compared with what you're going through over there or would you like to give us some advice because these are the kind of warning signs?
0: You want positivity, okay? I'm just (laughs) (laughs)
2: Just sheer despair. Yeah,
0: don't get guns. You're talking about the public being sick to death now of what's happening in the UK. Just the other day here, there was a couple who actually run a Trump memorabilia store not far from where I live in Arizona, who have said that if Carrie Lake and the rest of the Republican governors aren't successful at the midterms, and there will be several, they said that we will have no choice, and this is a couple in their 70s who you know is going to be a really good shot, that we have no choice but to take up arms. And we know it's going to start towns fighting towns states fighting states and civil war is coming and i don't know whether i'm getting hysterical in my kind of british ways but john you can probably speak to this that seems to be a kind of growing excitement
1: yeah i don't look we kill 40 to fifty thousand of each other every year anyway whether it's done for political purposes or not we are living in a incredibly dystopian era in the united states but So that gets an error as well, does it? Dystopian gets an error. If (laughs) Liz Truss gets an (laughs) error, Dystopia. Dystopian has to get it. But the nineteen sixties and the nineteen seventies were no cakewalk. Every time we came up with a brilliant leader, we killed him. Every time we sent over thousands of young men to die in Vietnam so that the domino theory of communism wouldn't take hold. In the perspective of history, oddly enough, we are living in decent times. There are certainly very disturbing dark clouds on the horizon, as often come up in, in many eras. How we deal with them and where we go with them is going to be the real fear for me is the democratization of destruction, is that atomic weapons were an anomaly preserved for very powerful countries that could spend a shit ton of money on research and development of weapons. There's going to come a time where they figure out the destructive nature and you're going to be able to look it up on the internet and make it with shit in your house. And as you see with the weapons of war that populate our streets, for me, that's the larger. I don't know that the impulses of man are any different, but when you allow man on a more individual basis to be as destructive as they can be, in that moment, I don't necessarily worry about sustained civil war. I really don't. I do worry about prolonged chaos Hmm. due to the ability of, one of the reasons why I thought the Iraq war was such a fucked up endeavor, and even 20 years in Afghanistan, is you will never bomb a country so hard that 19 of them don't want to get in planes and fly into one of your buildings. You just can't do it. So, you need a different plan. And my, that's my fear is that the amount of damage that individuals can do so outstrips their ability to contain that. That's where my concern would Wait, and this was are Richard. we going to
2: do on a hopeful note? Wait, this was the hopeful oh, right, note. No, right, right, I was no, just going to say that was, <laughs> that was my if fault. That's the that positive. My fault. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 <Not> my <bad. laughs> But we'll quite dark. Well, at you the said, end. You, said you weren't expecting civil war. So, I suppose that's I'm something we're Not expecting we can civil war. Not expecting civil war. I am not
3: thank you so much obviously we could talk for hours on this and many other subjects and maybe one day we will but thank you very much Sam thank you very much John
1: thank um, you thanks. it's
3: good uh, to see thanks you for sort- thanks for sorting it all out once and for all Armando I'm always here
1: for you know that
2: What did you think, Amanda? It was interesting because while we did get some warning signs that the UK is following in some of the same directions as US politics, we also did acknowledge that we are really different countries still.
3: We are. And a glint of hope in that the Brits so far haven't been taken in by the more of thefts from the Republican playbook so far. But I did ask for some positives at the end and we did get dystopia instead. So. <laughs> yes,
2: the era of dystopia. <laughs> the
3: era of dystopia. So it's, there's a long way to go, isn't there? theres is, I think what's happening is British politics. Re, re, I think even Blair, from the era of Blair, Thatcher obviously mm-hmm. bonded with Reagan. Blair was obsessed with Clinton. Blair was obsessed with George Bush to a fatal degree. And it's going to take us a while to pull back from that, I'm afraid. Right. So Anoush, what's on the agenda next week?
2: Next time, we're going to ask if the state is falling apart, hearing from two people on the front line trying to help people where the government has let them down.
3: Thank you and cheerio.
2: Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Westminster Reimagined on the New Statesman podcast with me, Anoush Shikelian, and our special guest host, Armando Iannucci. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and don't forget to subscribe. You can watch video from this podcast on the New Statesman's YouTube channel and on the New Statesman website. This episode was produced by Adrian Bradley and Mae Robson. Our executive producer is Chris Stone.
1: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen